Well, it would help if you have your Bibles open at 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 7 to the second third or part, part B of verse 13 um, tonight. So, the advent of electric light has been a great invention, hasn't it? Um, it's numbed us from the terror and the beauty of darkness a lot. It's diminished our joy and appreciation of light, I think. Um, if you've ever had to plan a social event around the moon in winter, you'll know uh, what it's like to live without electric light in the countryside. What a difference it makes, um, electric light. And light bells are turned night into day. Um, and that also comes with a whole host of different social and health problems. Um, there's an epitaph on, uh, on a gravestone which was quoted in, in a book on, on time management that I read years ago, which has, I've never forgotten it. Um, he played beneath the moon. He slept beneath the sun. He lived a life of going to do and died with nothing done. And you know, uh, that's electric light <laughs> for you. Um, that's, that's a social thing too, actually. A lot of people that don't have work um, live, they turn night into day. Um, and also, um, we know from science that lack of sleep um, caused by uh, artificial light um, creates a whole series of health problems, uh, and um, so you have to work on that. So when it comes to looking at the biblical imagery of light, we have difficulty, I think, sometimes to appreciate the glory of light and, and what a wonderful thing it is in the Bible. Um, I don't know if we can really put our, our feet in the shoes of the watchman of Psalm 130, verse 6. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the dawn. And it's repeated more than watchmen wait for the dawn, the, the danger and the loneliness and the, and the cold and the discomfort of the darkness and the eagerness for the dawn to rise. That's a, a, a biblical image that, that I suppose with electric light bulbs we find it hard to identify with. But we know that there's less to fear um, these days because of street lights and things. Um, but even so, dark nights mark the rise of burglary in our society, and we know that more violence uh, takes place under the cover of darkness. So darkness can be dangerous. John's still in this theme here of darkness and light, of truth and lies, um, of love and hatred. Um, he starts, and you see that indication, verse 7, the indication of a new movement in, in thought. Um, and, dear friends, I am not writing to you. And then he ends this movement uh, with these three, I am writing to you in the ASV, or I write to you uh, in the NIV. So these, these three statements to the dear children or the beloved children, to the fathers and to the young men. So this, this finishes off this whole big section in those th three little statements in verse 12 and uh, through to 13. So it's, it's bookended with, with his address, as it were, to his readers and his audience. Um, 
I don't know how many of you understand classical music or symphonies. Um, I'm going to mention the similar thing today. Different movements will, will repeat um, even the same music within the same movement, um, same melodies and harmonies. They, they are reprised and then restated and then repeated. I used to play a French horn in uh, the Perth Symphony Orchestra, the amateur orchestra through in Perth. I was for, fourth horn, <laughs> which makes you realise just how far down the pecking order I was. Mind you, Ravel was good to fourth horn players uh, in the bolero. That's the best part to have uh, for horns, but that's just by the by. Um, I liked, least of all, Tchaikovsky symphonies. Because um, it was kind of like 200 bars, and then you repeat the 200 bars. And it wasn't terribly interesting in the first place. The violins got plenty to do, um, but the fourth horn, well, it really felt like 180 bars of counting, and then a couple of bars of pop, pop. And then you're back again to counting. One, two, three, two, two, three. 122, two, three. Oh, was it 103? Not, not very good. Tchaikovsky. Um, he just repeats himself. Not terribly interesting. Mozart in the symphonies, he repeats himself, but he puts in dynamics. The same tune, same harmony, but louder or softer, just to change. And so he, he tricks you into thinking, this is actually a new bit, although it's actually the same bit. John's more Mozart here than Tchaikovsky. It's the same thing, but different. I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command, which you've had since the beginning. Yet I am writing you a new command. It's truth is seen in him and you because darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So he's, he's, going, he's going back again to that theme that he, he just touched on in verse 5 about obedience and love, about light and love. If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly perfected or made complete in him. Obedience of the commands of God is evidence of God's love in someone's life. God's love in action in you and your love in action towards God. Love to God is incomplete in our life if it is not accompanied by an obedience to his word. He's already said that. And God's love to us, as the Savior is incomplete if his word doesn't create obedience. Um, and then he moves on to the new commandment and the old commandment section. Um, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. And yet I am writing you uh, a new commandment. The truth is seen in him. Again, back to darkness. The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. The message and the command from the beginning are the same, John says. Um, it's not changed. The gospel has not changed. The gospel message and the gospel command or lifestyle that you had from the beginning is still the same. God is light. Repent and believe the good news. Um, God is light. In this section, I've mentioned three things that light can image for us. It's it's his goodness. God is light. There is no evil in him. He is totally good. God, it is, um, what was the other thing? I've forgotten it. Um, yes, it's his truth. God is fully true in him. There is no lies or darkness. Um, this morning, uh, we were thinking it's his knowledge. God knows everything. The light of his knowledge is not dimmed by any darkness. 
And there's a hint in verse 8 of a fourth dimension of that love, which is his glory. God's glory is the shining of his light. And so the gospel light, he's, he's kind of referencing here the, the, that, that in verse 8, the gospel light, the true light is already shining. Um, and actually we're in the gospel age, says John. And although it seems very dark, it's the darkness before the dawn and it's bright, it's getting brighter and brighter, although actually it seems quite dark. That's his gospel message. If I were to ask you what the greatest commandment was or the most fundamental commandment or um, which commandment most clearly demonstrates our sinfulness and need of a rescuer, you would all say, because you know the gospels, the greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old one which you've had from the beginning. Love the Lord your God. Love God and love your brother. Um, and yet, uh, and yet it is a new command because the challenge to love God and our growth in love for God is a renewing thing. It's not just the same old, same old. Um, as love expands, as, as love um, becomes more intense, it expands. And just like light, as it were, uh, pushes back the darkness. Um, so likewise, love expands. Uh, it's new, and the truth is seen in Jesus as it's seen in us. God is light. Repent and believe the good news. So what does the gospel do uh, in, in the light of these commands to love God and to love our neighbors? Well, it calls us to repent, and in the power of the gospel, he pours out his spirit into our hearts that we love him. He pours out his love into our hearts through his spirit so that we can enable us to love him and to love one another. Let's just restate the gospel story then in terms of love. Um, again, you could to, to put it in, into its context, in, in 1 John, it's about loving God and loving our brother. Okay, So let, let's restate the gospel. Love is the, the reality, isn't it? At the heart of all reality from all eternity. The most elemental reality is, is the love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's always been a father because there's always been a son. There's always been a son because there's always been a father. And they give and return love to one another. And out of that eternal giving and receiving, there's always been a bond of love and fellowship who is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the most mysterious way exists in love. That's the essence of reality or the, the baseline of reality as it were. Now from the overflow of that love from eternity to one to another to demonstrate the glory of that love, God made all things. God made all things. He made a temple of a sky, of an earth, and of seas. He called it the world. 
And he put his image in that temple to show forth to the created world who he was. He made Adam and Eve, male and female, in his image and in his likeness to be in the temple to preach the freedom of God to creation that they may understand the love of God, even the, even the animals which he had blessed to grow and encourage. He, he, out of the overflow of love, made all things. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't um, weak. He wasn't um, looking for, for love. He wasn't looking for affection like some weak person. It was out of the overflow of his love he made all things. He left in that temple the evidences of his love for Adam and for Eve and for the created order, all the beauty, all the food, and the night and the day, the order of creation. And um, as an evidence and to help Adam and Eve understand what love means, he made one commandment, do not eat the fruit of that tree of knowledge and good, of good and evil. One commandment. And the reason is that in obeying the command, your eyes then become open to what love is. Love means a choice. And once you make a choice not to, you're also making a choice to love. Love means choosing obedience. And that's what Adam and Eve were charged with. And of course, you know the story. They turned their back on love. They loved themselves and not God. They disobeyed. They moved out of the light of his love into the darkness of sin and selfishness. And then God came in and pronounced their doom. A curse came. And when God pronounced judgment and death and what death would mean, in the midst of that, the God of love promised even then a rescuer would come. That in the fullness of time, the seed of the woman would set them free through the sacrifice. His heel would be bruised. So then in the fullness of time, love came down at Christmas. Love was born at Christmas, as the hymn says. That which was from the beginning, who was with the Father, appeared in flesh and love and lived a perfect life of love. He completely loved God with all his heart and soul and mind and strength, even to death. He completely loved his fellow. He loved his neighbor as himself. Jesus taught about love. He washed the disciples' feet and demonstrated his love. He commanded his disciples to love. Then in love, he laid down his life personally for sinners as a substitute. In death, he lay, and love, the love of God the Father, conquered death and raised him to life in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father. And then out of love, after his ascension, he gave the love gift to his new creation of the Holy Spirit. God, coronation gift. God poured out his love into our hearts through his Spirit, and the new creation has dawned. Love has dawned in his resurrection, and love will come again in his return. And in the meantime, between that appearing 
and the next appearing of Jesus, our command is to walk in love, to live in love, to abide in love, to live a life of love. These commands and and different ways of expressing it are all in the New Testament and most of them in 1 John. So he's back again as the same as before, the old commandment and the new commandment. Um, But he's moved on from loving God in verses 9 to 11 to loving the brother. Um, Now, I I read this and I'm thinking, I'm not sure I'm getting a great deal out of this, but I I hope I get something for the rest of you out of it. I'm starting to get something, but um, my mind actually goes, goes to the teaching of John in John 15. I just invite you to turn up with that, but the new commandment and the, and the old commandment. It just illustrates, I think, some of the background to the language that, that we have in this. So it's John 15, and reading from verse 9, I'll read in the NIV. I'll give you a moment to look at that. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. If you obey my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and abide in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. A servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father... I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. So I think there's where John is coming from in this uh, old command but he says like you know that truth about loving one another it's not an old thing it's not a stale thing because it is old it's a new thing all the time and and the truth and the glory of that the light of the glory of love for God and for one another is seen in Jesus first and then in you because in the gospel the darkness is passing and the true light of the gospel is already shining And it will keep going in brightness until he returns at high noon. So, new commandment to love. Love enlightens, um, he says. True light is already shining. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. So, winter days, long days dark days, the the daylight is short, the darkness is long, there are fires going, so there's lots of dust. And then as the days lengthen, the spring comes, there's more daylight comes into your house. And as the the daylight comes in, you start to see how shabby and dirty things have got over time with all these fires and uh, all the darkness, you couldn't see it quite so well. 
It's time for spring clean and repair. You know, light enlightens, whether it's darkness or, in this case, the darkness of hatred and the light of love. When the light of the gospel comes, we see love. We see love in Jesus and then in the repentant family who believe in him, we see love in the church, in the fellowship, in the, 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 amongst the brothers, he calls them, amongst the church family. When you understand light, then you start to understand and know about darkness. When we're in the darkness, you don't know yourself. You don't know what it's about. Um, darkness doesn't know where it's going or where it's coming from. It just doesn't understand. And the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ is to shine into our heart to reveal what love is and hatred is. Wherever you see hatred, John says, wherever you see it, verses 9 to 11, you see darkness at work. And he almost personalizes the darkness. Um, the darkness has blinded his eyes. Um, Okay, it's maybe a metaphor, maybe it's just a, a, a phrase, but there's almost a hint of that being, being personalized. That's the enemy, the dark enemy who hates, who lies, who is a destroyer of the good and a hater of the good. Um, hatred in, in chapter 3, verse 15, uh, he says, really is one of the devil's works that Jesus came to destroy. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in them. Earlier on he said the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What's the devil pictured as? He's pictured as a, a roaring lion of power um, to destroy and a liar a snake to deceive. Um, hatred. He is a, a murderer from the beginning. He is a liar from the beginning, says Jesus. Wherever you see hatred, even in the church, you see darkness. And behind the darkness is the dark one. Darkness destroys and deceives. Um, hatred can be passive or active. You know, you can hate your brother by just doing nothing for him, by just ignoring your brother, by never thinking about your brother, by putting him in the darkness and not seeing him. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, not my issue. Who's my brother? I'm not his keeper. Passive hatred is, is not actively seeking their good. One of the things I, I've had to repent of perhaps a lot more than I should in life is the problem of misplaced humor. I have hurt people unintentionally by trying to make jokes or funny sayings which they have misunderstood because I wasn't terribly clear about it and as Moira says, you're not funny anyway. She's laughing. It's true, she says that. Um, so, and I have to repent of that. Now, if I was 
actively loving instead of passively loving. I wouldn't rely on jokes. I'd be thinking, how can I build this person up? You know, how can I say something encouraging that builds them up in their faith and in, and you know in their hearts and gives them a little bit of joy and 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 uh, you know is is the edifying thing for them. So, saying something positive and true, uh, you may hear me saying quite often, uh, and I really do mean this. This is not a lie. It's so good to see you. Maybe, maybe you haven't heard me saying that to you. If that's the case, you haven't heard me. You've been overlooking. But I say this almost to everybody. Well, I'm, and I mean it for everybody. It is so good to see. Isn't that wonderful about once you've come back in place into the church? It is so good to see one another. And that's one of the statements. Now, I, I'm being rebuked by God for that because there was a dear minister friend. That was his favorite saying. And I used to think, he had a huge congregation. He shakes hands and pushes them out the door like a, a conveyor belt. And every time he says, so good to see you, so good to see you, so good to see you. And I thought, can he always be sincere? And I reckon he was now thinking back to that because that's what fellowship and walking in the light is like. When you love people, it's just a joy to see them. And you want to build them up. to see. So say, so good to see you. Do you know, you give me joy when I see, see what you're doing. I thank God for you. Can you, can you say that to somebody um, sincerely without trying to turn it away with a little joke? That's love in action, building people up. That's, well, the opposite of passive hatred is active love. Um, causing your brother to stumble through not loving them properly through living in the darkness of ignoring and not seeing, passive hatred. We're all guilty of it to some degree. And then there's active hatred. Oh, it doesn't exist in the church. My goodness, you haven't understood your heart if you haven't seen this. And you haven't understood churches if you haven't seen this. Active hatred exists, the put down through humor. You can't take offense at that. It was a joke. But you were putting them down. You were tearing them to shreds and laughed it off with a wee smile or a smirk. Yes, your lips may have been smiling, but your eyes betrayed you. Tearing down rather than building up. That's active hatred. Oh, it doesn't sound as bad as that, but it is. Deliberately turning away. Sitting on the other side to avoid speaking to somebody on that side, or vice versa. Active hatred is blanking people out, giving them the 20 yard stare as you walk past, murdering them with a smile that only reaches your lips because you refuse to admit that they've hurt you. And the truth is, it's probably they hurt you totally without realizing it. Yes, they hurt you, and yes, perhaps they have to say sorry, but you're not going to give them the chance to do that because you hate them. You're pretending you're a good Christian. You believe the gospel. You love Jesus. You sing songs from your heart, but you slander with your mouth, and you gossip about others, and you delight in the bad news Sometimes you pass it on with a little bit of exaggeration. You hate your brother. Whoever hates his brother 
is in the darkness, not in the light. He walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. A life lived like that, a life of hatred, goes nowhere. It's wandering around in circles in the dark. You don't know if you're making progress or not, because you aren't really, because you're only going from one degree of darkness to another. You're in the darkness, and you don't know where you are going because you've been blinded by the darkness. Um, walking in the dark is very dangerous. Let me tell you that. When Andy was inducted the night before he, he, <laughs> he preached, um, I was walking in the darkness, literally, and fell down the stairs, stupidly. That's something else that Moira tells me. I know it was stupid. I should have put the light on. Sorry. <laughs> darkness is dangerous. Dangerous to you personally and dangerous for the church. In our house, we have um, internal wind doors that are gla- glazed. And, um, uh, you know, you just get used to that. And, but then when the sun sometimes in winter comes in low, it shines through the house and it shows the glass. And sometimes, I have no idea why this happens, because it's not our problem, dust appears on the, on the windows. Isn't that amazing? Dust appears. That, wow, you can see that. I thought these, windows were, these glass doors were clean. And there are different ways that we can respond to that. We can ignore the problem. Ah, it's not there. Once the sun gets a bit, goes down, or once you pull the curtains, you won't see the dust. Um, or you can redefine the problem. Dust is an advantage. It, it, it cuts down the glare, and it, it's a kind of privacy aid. Yes, let's, let's you know, affirm the dust. Or you can blame someone else. Why haven't you cleaned the, the doors? Why haven't you cleaned the doors? Um, You can blame God. You know, God's the one that created the dust in the first place. That's one. These are some responses. And then another response is to look for a solution. Well, it's up to me to get out the vax and wash it, or it's up to you to get out the, the duster and clean it. A wee um, dash of vinegar on the, on the duster to cut through. Um, now, the light of the gospel of God's love is shining through this passage to us, shining on us. And when he talks about hatred, it's showing up a lot of dust, isn't it? Now, when God shows that up to us tonight, we can, re- we can respond to that in different ways. We can ignore what he's saying. It's not a problem. It's an exaggerated problem. It's not my problem, it's her problem. Not my problem, it's his problem. We should ignore it, it'll go away. Something more important to do. We can ignore the problem that God illuminates in terms of our lack of love and our walking in hatred. Or we could redefine it. I don't hate. I don't hate them. I'm just trying to bring about a conviction of sin by accusing them. I'm helping God. You think people don't say that or think that? You don't know the evil of people's hearts. Or you could blame someone else. Uh, when your hatred, it's not my fault I don't love. My parents didn't teach me how to love. Not my fault I don't love. The church doesn't encourage me, doesn't give me um, help to love. It's not my fault I don't love. It's society's fault. I've always been a victim. Actually, ultimately, it's God's fault. If God knew to make me proper, he would make me love. So we can blame God someone else. 
or we can seek a solution, which John wants us to do. That's why John says, believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Seek a solution. And that's how he ends this section. He preaches the gospel truths to children, young men, and fathers. He ends this movement with, I am writing to you, I am writing to you, I am writing to you. He ends this movement with the power of the message of life to enlighten those in darkness. Now, I used to wonder what the point of this was in here, because I just couldn't get my head around why he said that or wrote that at the time. Why two sets of three we rights? Why children, fathers, and men? Now, there are two sets, because you'll see in the ESV that they... There's two different tenses in, uh, between the first three and the second three. I am writing to you in the first three, and I write to you in the second three. And that maybe set me off to thinking, well, maybe this, the first three are looking back the way to round off that first part of his, the first movement of his, of his uh, letter or symphony, and then the second three are looking forward. Or in fact, maybe, maybe the six are looking back, and then the six are looking forward. Um, but what, what he's doing is, he said, you know, um, again, if I've shown that you are in the dark in some ways, that maybe you are a hater or that maybe you are disobedient or, or maybe you claim one thing and live another, um, don't just leave it at there. I've shown you the problem. Now I'm going to give you the gospel solution. I'm writing to you, dear children. If you hate your brothers and sisters, if you hate them, Remember this, your sins have been forgiven on account of Jesus' name. I'm writing to you, children. Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm not writing to tell you off. I'm not writing to make you feel bad. I'm writing to remind you of the solution, of the rescue that there is in Jesus. Um, whether he's writing to, literally to the children in the church, which happens in the New Testament. He's speaking to, the, Paul speaks to children directly, um, some pretty deep doctrine in, in, his le, in his letters and then practical application to children, or whether this is the beginning of faith as a child, the end of faith, as it were, as a father, and then the people that are bearing the weight of the Christian life as the young men. I don't know, uh, you know, why, you know, why is there no young women? Um, why is there no mothers? Uh, you know, it's difficult to understand in one sense. So that's why I'm taking it as the beginning of faith. You know, children are both uh, boys and girls in that sense, little beloved ones. Um, the end of the faith, the fathers, the, the ones that protect, the ones that lead um, you know, and, and mothers do the same as well, protect and lead, uh, amazing thing. And then the young men who do all the work, as it were, who bear the, the burden of the heat of the day and who fight um, on behalf of the gospel, who, who take the gospel work out uh, through prayer and, and uh, put on the gospel armor through prayer and stand in the face of evil through prayer and wrestle with not flesh and blood, but the spiritual powers through prayer. So he's reminding the beginners, the ones that are norm, nearly at the end of their life, 
and the ones that are full on in the midst of the battle about the gospel. So, young ones, you may be surprised that you see hatred. Where did that come from? Let me tell you the answer. Your sins have been forgiven on the count of his name. You don't need to hate, repent, and love. Fathers, I write to you. Here's the gospel. You have known him who is from the beginning. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And that knowledge of him and his goodness and love will bring you to repentance and bring you safe home at his appearing. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Yes, you may have hatred to put down. Yes, you may be walking in the darkness sometimes, but walk in the light because you have known him who is from the beginning. And young men, I write to you because you have overcome the evil one. You've overcome the prince of darkness. You have overcome the liar and the murderer. In Christ, you have the victory. Do not give in in the fight because the children and the fathers are depending on your strength. Do not give up. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Stand up. This is the time for battle. Young men, stand up. This is the time to take a stand for Jesus against all evil for the sake of the gospel. You see what he wants to end with us? He doesn't want us to end on such a failure, having such a bad state. He wants to end with the gospel, with the glory of the light of the gospel that has started to shine, is already shining. It's like, you know, the, the morning star, Venus, when it's uh, bright in the morning, the morning star, it's the, it's the, the brightest planet, as it were, um, and that was the herald of the dawn when it's in the morning. Sometimes it's the herald of the evening when it's in the evening, depending on where it is in conjunction with the sun. And what we're seeing in the gospel is, is the bright morning star. It's, it's the sign as you're waiting for the dawn, the dawn of salvation, as you're waiting for him to appear again and to push back the darkness of, of sin and hatred and, and murder and establish the light of the gospel, of the glory of, of, the, of God himself in the face of Christ. Um, that's the, that's the, the, the sign, the, the, um, the I'm trying, I lost the words now, the announcer. Coming in, coming in ahead to proclaim, hey, dawn is coming, says the morning star. And that's what John is pointing to here. The darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. I write to you, children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Come to faith. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him was from the beginning. You're soon going to be with him. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Do not give up. John talks a lot about knowledge, you know, knowledge of God and knowledge of yourself. Even in this, this passage, God is light. And there's a kind of virtuous circle that goes on in the Christian life. I just want to end with this. That 
as we know the goodness and grace and love of Jesus, then we start to know ourselves. We know ourselves as sinner, as needing a rescue, because we are not like him, and he tells us that we need to be rescued. And we know ourselves as wonderfully loved by him at the same time. Um, almost in, just incredible to believe. It's almost too big to believe it. But we know ourselves as, as a great sinner and somebody who is greatly loved when we know Jesus. And then when we know ourselves, when we see the depths of the darkness in our hearts, and the longer you go on as a Christian, the more you start to see of that, the more that he brings out to our attention, the more the light shines in and brings out all the dusty parts of our souls the more you see that, then the more you, you know how much he's loved you and, and how much he's done to save you and what it cost him that you loved this. When I first, when I was a child in the faith, I thought I was doing you a favor. Well, I didn't quite, but you know, here you are. Aren't you lucky to get me to believe in you? Now that I'm a father and about to go to glory, I'm astonished, astonished that you love this sinner. But I'm glad I've known you from the beginning. So there's a kind of virtuous circle. We know ourselves, and then that brings us to knowledge of Jesus. And knowledge of Jesus brings us to a knowledge of ourself. And on and on it goes. And the light gets brighter and brighter. So here's a question to end. Do you know your need? Do you? Or do you know your Savior? That's what I'm praying for you to know. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. When we're young, we put on our own clothes and we decided where we're going to go and then you come into our lives and as we obey you through our love, you will take us some places that we're not really all that keen on going. But because we love you and because you love us, we trust you and we ask for help to obey you. Lord, you know all things. You know that we love you. And so we say sorry for the hatred in our hearts. And thank you that, that it, it, it's, though it's terrible, it's a drag there. Um, it's just the last little um, dirt that's been left there, um, remnants of sin, because your love has been poured into our hearts. And we pray that your love will conquer the hatred, and that as we walk in the light as you are in the light, we'll have power to love as you give us the power to love. Help us to walk in your truth, that when you open our eyes to see our sin, to say sorry quickly, to confess our sins and find instant forgiveness and cleansing and fellowship with the righteous one. And help us through praying for one another to learn how to love one another better and to put others before ourselves and to put God our Father First of all, heart of my own heart.
whatever before, still be my vision. Glorious Father. Amen.